0: The one guy I can think of who didn't get a pass for his past crimes was Michael Vick. And yet he carries that stigma with him to this day. He gets booed, all that stuff. And yet, you know, if you ask the Humane Society about him, they'll say, Michael Vick's become a huge partner of ours. Um, But if if your victim is a human and particularly a woman, they'll get over it, the, the, the fans get over it really quick.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Tourist Information. My guest this week is attorney and journalist Dan Roberts. Dan, I knew about him, I think, in the lead up to his big article. I don't know what constitutes viral, but it got a hell of a lot of fucking attention about Floyd Mayweather and his history with abusing women. And, you know... It's interesting writing about these kind of items in the backstory. I mean, we saw it a lot with Kobe Bryant's death, is how should we address it in terms of the biography and the legacy? Um, Should somebody be defined by one incident? Um, You know, and, and I don't know that anybody has a monopoly on what the answer is, But with Floyd Mayweather, it's more complicated because it's certainly not an isolated incident. There is quite a history and a continuum and a lot of defenders. And Roberts had a lot of guts when he came out with his piece and it really broke it down. And a lot of people finally started to pay attention that when we're voting with our money to support somebody like this, it can certainly enable them to feel entitled to get away with continuing to perpetuate the behavior. And I noticed even, including some of Mayweather's history that Dan touched on, that I started to not be able to get press credentials to events where his PR team were handling that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a really fraught issue. And so I wanted to have a chance to talk to Dan about what it was like to write about it, the response to it, and maybe some advice about how other people can handle it better. You know, as we've seen with the Me Too movement, you know, this stuff hides away and, uh, you know, bringing it out into the open, I think, does a lot of good in, in terms of calling people out on their bullshit with this. So I hope you enjoy this week's guest, Dan Roberts, on Tourist Information.
2: So where I want to go with you is July 16th. 2014, you dropped a bomb, not just on the boxing world, but really, I think, the sporting world, the media world, with how you inventoried Floyd Mayweather's history. I mean, you begin it with (laughs) an expression of misogyny, but it's just so endemic in his personal life, and I think his family's also. Sure. But I wanted to know the origins of that story, uh, what what kind of resistance you met putting that forward, because I, I think it asked a lot of really important questions about why, why that wasn't part of the discourse with him more openly. And, and you also, I think, point out very rightly how a lot of the media to maintain access protected him yep. from, from, I think, the appropriate scrutiny. So can we, I guess just to the beginning of how you got into boxing writing, because it's rather unusual you moonlighting the way you do so effectively from your <laughs> oh, regular job as an attorney? Yeah, uh,
0: I got into, I've been a boxing fan my whole life. Um, I remember very clearly at, you know, seven or eight years old, sitting in front of uh, the scrambled cable picture back when you used to have the pay-per-views used to come through, kind of scrambled so you could he- still hear them and watching mm-hmm. Chavez Haugen and, and, and stuff like that, which I, that was a big deal for me. Um, and uh you know always uh, enjoyed boxing was never terribly good at it but enjoyed the sport and had an affinity for it um and uh in terms of writing about it um you know it started out i was just commenting on deadspin as a fan and tommy crags and tim marchman and some of the other guys there got to know me through that and um Actually, the first thing I think I ever officially wrote for the site was, uh, was a eulogy for Macho Camacho. They asked me to do that. And then uh, after that, I wrote um, something on, on Dan Rayfield uh, and, and how he, um, you know, how, how, how I how, how, although I enjoyed a lot of what he did, I felt he had he'd done a very poor job of holding the industry to account. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess they, they they let me keep writing things. And, um, and so then, uh, I, I just, you know, I, I was kind of cataloging it for my own interest at first, and then it kind of turned into something and I sent it to, uh, to Tim Marchman and Albert Bernico and, uh, they gave me some very helpful feedback and, uh, we, I rewrote it a few times and it went up and I guess the rest is history
2: so what's the response from there it goes up i remember seeing it and it was definitely one of the bigger holy shit articles i'd seen in boxing in years Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i I mean i was not expecting that i mean i thought i thought there would be interest in it um it probably helped that it it was kind of a slow news week otherwise um and also we, we we did time it to drop with the announcement of the, the Maidana rematch, uh, which we knew would get some attention. But I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, to get, you know, a million and a half page views or whatever it got and be the top story on Deadspin for a week. It was really, uh, that was a surprise. And I, frankly, uh, I, I was a little um, uncomfortable with that because I thought, you know, again, I, I'm not a journalist. Uh, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I write kind of on the side. And so, I was, uh, you know, I was wondering like, should I have stepped aside and let someone who was really uh, maybe better suited to to handle this be the one to uh, have have taken my research and, and put it forward as an article? But it worked out really well, and uh, you know, the site has been great since then, especially Diana Moscovitz uh, in in kind of following up on the, on these uh, on, on the allegations involving Floyd digging for stuff, uh, at least until that's been self-destructed about six months ago, um, which was unfortunate. And I've heard they're, they're using the name again, but it's obviously not the same site.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and so what put you on the trail of this? Was it just sort of seeing more than one? I mean, I think in all you, you inventory seven, alleg- maybe it was six, six allegations, I, think it was I mean
0: seven allegations against five different women I believe right. um and and, and, right. and since then I think it's you know we we have learned many more uh people like Chantelle Jackson Miss Jackson who was his girlfriend at the time have come forward with kind of his stories about abuse um and so that is uh there there, there are more kind of very credible allegations since then um you know what happened was uh his most recent um, arrest, or his arrest in kind of the the 30 days he spent in jail uh, for his third assault on Josie Harris, had gotten a little bit of coverage, but really not much, certainly not proportional to the the size of a celebrity he was. And a lot of the coverage on ESPN and other places was really more like, criticizing him for having done this thing that could have jeopardized his fight with Manny Pacquiao, as opposed to really looking into it. And I knew enough about Floyd just from having been close to the sport for the year to to know there was a lot more out there. And I think what started me out was I just kind of Googled something, expecting someone else to have written that article already. And when it wasn't there, I was kind of surprised. And I just decided, look, I'm an attorney. I'm going to pull up his criminal record and see what's there. And it was longer than I expected it to be. And that was kind of the, uh, that was the impetus, I guess.
2: What do you, what do you make of the fact that there are, I mean, I always think of this when you bring up, let's say, John Lennon, I think in either 1970 or 1971, gave an interview to Jan Wenner of Rolling Stone. And I don't want to say he brags about hitting women, about being a a serial Woman he did a hit lot of her, crazy
0: things in that interview. I think, I think in fairness to John Lennon, he has disowned much of it as kind of a marijuana-induced rant as opposed to reality. But yeah, no, that's right.
2: And that seems to shock people with him. And, and on top of shocking people, like, is that really true? Did he really say that? Yes, he did. He's on record as saying he serially hit women because he couldn't mm-hmm. deal with his feelings. But I'm fascinated that his name is never lumped into that group, that infamous group. And there are a number of others. I mean, even in boxing, I, I think Ray Robinson beat his wife while she was pregnant and they lost their child. It's not right. often brought up with him. There's right. been allegations about Muhammad Ali putting his hands on a woman in, in his career. Um, I remember briefly, I think you and I talked about this a bit, when I wrote about Roger Mayweather... Uh, choking Melissa Mm -hmm. St. Ville, the response to that largely was, well, they must have been in a sexual relationship and she's trying to shake him down for money. Uh, Why would you believe her? Why is she in his apartment and she's not paying rent? Clearly, this can't be as obvious as what it is. And even the euphemism uh, that he put his hands on her really didn't illustrate anything of what he actually did, which was sure. demonstrably attempted murder. Right. So what is it about people with these kind of allegations where it's so clear, I mean, and even with your, case, like with your story, uh, Rachel, Rachel Nichols interviews Floyd, Michelle Beadle covers the story, and his response to it was so shockingly, I mean, even saying right. tone deaf is inappropriate, but Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you make of, of his response to it, how people followed up, how the culture followed up? I mean, did you get a lot of backlash for exposing this?
0: I did. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the overwhelming response was really positive, which was, mm. which was great. But there was definitely people who did everything from, you know, make threats against me for exposing this to tell me, you know, that it was, you know, they had a zillion conspiracy theories for why I picked Floyd to cover, uh, you know, besides the fact that kind of the obvious thing that he's the biggest name in the sport, and I'm a big boxing fan, right? But look, it's an article that could have been written about a lot of famous people. And, um, you know, I think there was, you you mentioned John Lennon, and I I would say, if you want a really recent example, uh, the controversy about bringing up the rape allegations against Kobe Bryant after he died. Great, There are these people that are beloved. And, um, you know, we can forget sometimes that they are, you know, people with multiple sides uh, to them. And that um, particularly in the case of violence against women, whether it's sexual or physical, a lot of these people, I mean, first of all, these crimes are so common. And I think a lot of us don't want to accept that. And so that, that leads to a natural skepticism. Um and it's also just a desire to to separate someone who, who might otherwise seem like uh someone we really we really like. Um, you know, Chico Corrales, you know, he, he was such a kind of likable figure, but we all knew that, you know, he he went to jail for for beating um I'm not sure if she was his wife or the mother of his child, but you know, he went to jail for, for abuse. Um and uh it just seems so out of character for him, and it's so easy, especially as a sports fan, to focus on you know, the side of their persona that you see on the court or the, in the ring or something like that, as opposed to what they're like. But they're, they're all humans, just like the rest of us, and, and the sad fact is violence against women is incredibly underreported. Um, it is treated with skepticism at a much higher level. Than it should be. You know, people tend to, um, you know, we have this whole concept of a he said, she said, when in reality, we know that there's almost no false allegations made of sexual assault. We still treat them like they're at, you know, like the burdens on the victim to prove it. Um, you know, really, it, it, you know, we should start out with a very strong presumption that the victim is telling the truth because we know in about 95% of cases they are. And it it really should be on the accused to demonstrate their their innocence. I know that kind of flips the conventional innocent until proven guilty on its head, but I'm not talking about in a court of law here. I'm talking about the way we as, as fans, as news consumers view these stories. You know, if we want to just look at these things rationally, the fact of the matter is, is the overwhelming number of allegations are true. And, um, you know, whether it's, Kobe or Jameis Winston or Ben Rothlisberger or Mike Tyson, you know, um we have these allegations come out against these athletes and almost universally the uh the charge is leveled that oh, um, the woman was it was shaking the athlete down for money or or was motivated by some other thing because it couldn't possibly be true before we've really even looked at the evidence. Um mm. and uh you know, I, I I just think that is a um, an unfortunate part of our society that we're going to have to reckon with. And hopefully the Me Too movement is a beginning of that. I like to think that, you know, the confluence of the, the Mayweather article and then the subsequent, shortly thereafter, the stories about Ray Rice, um, started this debate. And then, obviously, the Harvey Weinstein thing elevated it to another level. But um, I, I, I hope we're prepared as a society not not to backlash against uh these these kind of uh this new awareness, which is kind of a tendency when people are dealing with an unpleasant story uh but we're really ready to kind of open our eyes to the fact that you know uh one in four one in five women in this country is is a victim of uh abuse and um and uh we, i I'll bet you most men if you you ask them to list their you know their five closest uh five closest women to them in their lives whether it's their wife their sister their mother their friends probably don't have a a great idea of which of those uh women were victims and i think it, it speaks to the fact that a lot of men just prefer not to think about that stuff and again uh in in the sports media world if a woman does bring up something like this you know you know what the chorus is going to be i would stick to sports you know why are you making this about that i mean when when someone like Sarah Spain or Michelle Beadle goes and talks about this, that's, you see that overwhelmingly. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's unfortunate, and we have to get past that. Um, and you know, I think hopefully there is a platform to do that now. Um, but I think one of the things that was interesting about that article when, when it came out was it was probably one of the first times a kind of a, a sports figure at his prime had been exposed in that way. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's probably what shocked a lot of people about it. Um, obviously Mike Tyson went to jail. Um, but unlike Mayweather, I think Mike Tyson, it was, it was, it was kind of packaged in with Mike Tyson. He was out of control. He was violent. Everyone knew that he bragged about punching Robin Gibbons. Right. Um, and so it didn't shock anybody. Um, whereas Mayweather was presented much more like, you know, the businessman and, and someone who certainly, uh, flaunted his wealth and, and, and the number of girlfriends he had, but maybe not the violence side of it. So.
2: Well, and, and you mentioned, you mention in your piece also that Floyd goes on to Katie Keurig. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Dan Raphael article that really gives him a platform to address yeah. the allegations. Uh, similarly, the way he handled the Rachel Nichols interview, um, that just seems to bolster these people where like the only way that it's true seems to be Floyd's litmus test. Like, okay. I want video footage of it, which I think, even if you produced it, it would be sort of like uh, people who would defend the police during the Rodney King situation would be like, well, we didn't see what happened just before. Like, there's just no way to... Right allow them to see what they don't want to see in these situations. And I I hope that's not a grossly false equivalency, but I think the point I'm just trying to make is what does it take to get some of these people to accept the severity and implications of, of these tremendously serious allegations. I mean, he's doing this in front of his children to the the mother of his children. Right. Um, So what do you make of the media of, of what Keurig did or Raphael, Formerly of ESPN.
0: So I, I, I have very different views on what Katie Couric did versus what, uh, Dan Rayfield did. Okay. Dan Rayfield is a guy who, um, simply doesn't like to report on stories that are going to, um, impact his access. And he'll, he'll pick on things like, like the, the, the uh, the sanctioning bodies and stuff because they're easy targets and, you know, it doesn't really matter, but, you know, he wants that access to Floyd Mayweather. And, you know, in the article I wrote about Dan Raphael I talk about, and this is one of my favorite fighters in the world, so let me be really clear. I talk about how he, uh, he wrote some really, when when, uh, Shane Mosley tested or was revealed to have used EPO, uh, he wrote some really kind of he lied to me. He lied to my readers. Shame on him. And then, you know, when his temper cooled, down shortly thereafter, and he wrote kind of a retrospective on um, Mosley's career. He, uh, you know, he, he basically goes back to saying, "Oh, you know, you know, it was never proven that you know Shane did anything illegal or something like that." I'm like, "What, what are you talking about? You you you'd come out in public and publicly said shame on the guy for lying about the fact that he did this." And now you're going to uh, now you're going to basically wipe it away. And, you know, Dan Rayfield was a guy who, when Floyd was in jail, um, like wrote an article basically saying Floyd should feel terrible because he's jeopardized his fight with uh, um, Manny Pacquiao. And then after he got out, basically wrote an article about how mature the whole experience had made him, um, even though he had never accepted responsibility for it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's just Dan's Dan does not want to be the guy to. To, 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 to uh, write a story that could could get someone upset with him in Katie Couric's case. I really tend to give her the benefit of the doubt in, in retrospect, uh, in part because of a, a conversation I had with her afterwards, but I, I just don't think she had researched Floyd's history enough. Uh, she did ask him the question. But I don't think she realized how um, how bad his answer was at the time, mm. um, and you know uh, it's unfortunate that, and perhaps this speaks to why she got the interview and not another interview with Rachel Nichols, not an interview with Rochelle Carey or somebody like that who would have um, who would have held his feet to the fire, um, and so in, in a way she not only gave him a, a platform to smear. Uh, Jody, Josie Harris, who unfortunately passed away recently, yeah, um, but also yeah. kind of rehabilitated his image, you know, she was, you know, included bits of her basically hugging him in the video and stuff. And, you know, that's, that sent a powerful message that he wasn't that bad of a guy. Um, and so uh, it's unfortunate, but I don't think she, I don't think she did that to maintain her access to him in the same way that, Rayfield that I think she just just hadn't
2: done her homework well okay let me flip this a little bit because I think this is important for people that doubt allegations and they want to cite evidence against people like you or the pushback that that I I got also is they look at the fiasco with Selena Robertson and the lacrosse team at Duke where They sue the university. It was odd, actually, because I had a boxing client who was the son of the president of Duke who talked about that. It was just a complete coincidence. Um, Rolling Stone, a a year after your article, published a rape on campus um, by Sabrina Ederly, where... By the
0: way, I will say... um, I I apologize for interrupting, but I, I will say that if you actually look at the evidence in that article, I know it's been... The article itself was a disgrace uh, and what Ederly did to write it was a disgrace but the alle- underlying allegations against that, that were lodged by Jackie I think were extremely credible and I mm. still believe those I don't think those were debunked um, there may be specific things she said in the article that weren't true but uh, I think there were there, there are credible I don't want to go off on that tangent but that, that was an article I spent a lot of time looking into and I came away convinced that the fundamental truth of her story was was, was there So I apologize. That was just, uh, you you brought that close to
2: my heart. No, no, no. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to get at with this is that I feel as though people try to turn this into whether somebody did it or didn't do it, that it's just mini golf and it's simplicity, but these are often quite complex issues to delve into. It's, it's, it's tedious and requires your attention for some time to get at some of the details. Sometimes it's absolutely clear cut. Sure. But I mean, another example, and I found this uh, very tedious to bring up, and I bring it up in the context of trying to assist the Me Too movement is, is, I think you know, I'm from Canada originally, and we had somebody at the CBC, Gian Gameshi, uh, taken to court for three sexual assaults. Uh, He was accused of many, and in the court case, even though it was abundantly clear, he was very inappropriate with um, how he was dealing with co-workers, just wildly sexually inappropriate conduct. Um, But in these three, three specific cases, his attorney produced evidence that demonstrably showed wild amounts of perjury on the part of all three people coming after him. Mm -hmm. And what I found worrisome is that nobody debated that this guy was a piece of shit, but there was no punishment. There was no moral hazard from being proven to have conspired on Facebook groups to try to bring this guy down or Mm -hmm. to have lied about things in testimony Um, And the result of that trial was that his attorney, who was a female, that the groups that were outside of the courtroom protesting Believe All Victims said that she had, I I believe the quote was, betrayed her gender. Hmm. And I've noticed even bringing that up to to people, men and women, some of them just immediately think that you're trying to defend Gian Gameshi, which is absolutely not what I'm doing but i think it seems to be a very poignant example of something to take into account when something goes very wrong in in not the judicial system but in trying to bring these people to account and i think i think some of those writers also i mean selena roberts there is a danger of course that you are hunting big game to go after major colleges. You're going to get a lot of attention. Social media is going to get totally behind you. There's a Pulitzer Prize if you can go after a major institution and expose these kind of things. So there's massive incentive not to be as careful as maybe you need to be to have some of these things backfire the way they they have, at least in these three instances. So I I just wonder how, how you feel the media can better... Adjudicate these kind of situations as they arise.
0: I think everyone um, out there could stand to benefit. um, In particular, juries and police officers are probably my number one audience in understanding uh, the psychology of victims a bit more. Mm. um, Because I think one of the things you 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 did you you brought this up, and I think quite rightly we need to acknowledge there are at times, uh, false accusations made. Um, When there are false accusations made, the overwhelming reason is that they're made is either mental illness on the part of the person making it or mistaken identity, but they do have, there are times when it's malicious. There's no question that that occurs too. And we need to be able to acknowledge that. And the reason we need to be able to acknowledge that is to put it into its proper context, which is we're talking about 1% of the allegations out there. And that doesn't minimize it. It's right, no less horrible. Um, but the overwhelming number of these allegations are true. And for every 100 rapes that takes place in this country, one rapist will go to jail. Um, and, and, and that to me, it, it is a far more dangerous thing. And when we think about uh, the way victims will react to, to crimes of violence, and particularly sexual crimes of violence, is, is can be very counterintuitive to the layperson's expectations. And it allows, I think, these, st- these stories um, where there is clear perjury and clear malicious intent to blur together with stories where there's confusion about a fact or right. you know, some element of the story is changed because of embarrassment or fear or something like that, which is very typical and, and, and does not necessarily indicate anything malicious at all. And I think uh, it's really important that we are very clear to distinguish those those cases where there is that clear malicious intent. And again, I'm I'm not those happen and and they're they're dreadful and the much more common instance where uh, a defense attorney uh, either can find some inaccuracy in in something the, the victim said or. Able to smear them with their sexual history or something like that. Unfortunately, I think those all get conflated in the media quite a bit.
1: Uh. Um,
0: and uh, so I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is really about educating people so that they can distinguish between those two things. Um, and so um, that was one of the eye opening things for me. Uh, one of the projects I worked on for years and never actually got around to, to <laughs> publishing was a big, far too long kind of look at sexual assault in sports uh, hmm. and, and the prevalence of it. And um, it was so eye-opening for me reading, you know, kind of uh, the, the kind of the, uh, the, uh, the experts on the field. Uh, Cause there were things that even though I would kind of came into this uh, with a, I think a relatively informed position, it still kind of blew my mind um, about, Um, understanding how a a victim might react. And um, just so much of that is counterintuitive to people, including police officers, which is one reason why a lot of victims don't come forward, and juries, which is one reason a lot of, um, you know, guilty people are acquitted or able to get to a lesser charge or something of that nature. Uh, And I think we all could use a lot of education on the subject
2: well I mean one one instance that you, we were talking earlier about Kobe Bryant. I remember what was used against her was after the assault occurred with Kobe, the victim had sexual intercourse with another partner right. um quite 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 shortly after the incident mm-hmm. with Kobe, and it was used to suggest that she was promiscuous right. or or clearly she wasn't traumatized or whatever, but just right. to Assail her reputation in conjunction with promoting her as a gold digger, that this was some kind of <laughs> like architect of a scheme to get as much money as she could to shake him down or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. a, 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 with no evidence that that's who she was in the past or anything. But it seemed to me a completely understandable reaction of yeah. somebody who's been traumatized is to seek comfort from a past lover and and try to get this horrible taste out of your mouth of this this tragic incident with Kobe, and yet it was interpreted by people who are supporters as Kobe. It just it, it's just so fascinating that so frequently with this kind of thing, maybe with everything, maybe it's just human nature, that seeing is never believing. It's always the other way around. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, people struggle a lot with things like you just described in the fact that uh, victims often stay with their abusers. And that's right. The why did why did she keep coming back if it was as bad as she says it was? You know, you hear that all the time. Uh, look, the, the, the fact is, uh, and while I'm, I'm not a, a, a trained psychiatrist by any stretch of the imagination, I, I've I've uh, I've done legal work on this and I've read enough to know that this is absolutely the most common thing is you have these cycles of abuse where the, the victim does keep coming back, um, to the abuser. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I think the reaction that Kobe's victim had, and I'm comfortable calling her a victim based on everything I know about that, that case, um, was, was, was was typical, uh, 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 you know, someone who had just been sexually assaulted and, um, they did what they did. What a lot of defense attorneys did. They did. It was the same thing that they did to uh, when Mark Chamura was accused of rape by an underage girl. Um, you know, it's the same thing they did with Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, you know, they said that she was wearing a DTF hat, I think, or something like that. So thus she was. She was uh, must have been asking for it or something like that. You know, uh, the idea that even if someone, you know that. By virtue of being sexually active, you are you know consented to being raped by anyone who walks by is 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 so offensive that no one would say it out loud, but I think it's uh, subliminally it plays really well with a lot of people um and uh and and that you know people looking to find a way to let someone off the hook a hero off the hook um will will go to something like that because it it's a more comforting um, psychological outcome than, than, than embracing the fact that they are, their hero did something really, really horrible.
2: Well, and I want to I touch on that in two different ways. One is Stephen A. Smith, who was a real, like, banging the drum endlessly for Floyd Mayweather. And his, his particular dealings with this in such a prominent venue like ESPN... Uh, certainly seemed to race your ire against yeah. him. So I yeah. wonder if you just talk about that, that response and, and sort of what you made of it.
0: Sure. Uh, there was an article I wrote, uh, which was given the brilliant title, What the Fuck is Wrong with Stephen A. Smith? By, <laughs> by Tim Marchman. Um, yeah. And uh, about that, and, and the fact that as soon as Floyd Mayweather was accused, uh, Stephen A. went to Twitter and said, uh, you know, um, basically that he didn't believe that uh, Floyd was guilty. Sometimes women just lie about these sorts of things. And then he went off on uh, this whole thing about, oh, now I hear that he he stole her iPod. Like, I, why would Floyd Mayweather steal an iPod? Well, that's not what happened at all. Floyd Mayweather took Josie Harris's iPhone because she was texting with her boyfriend. And right. he was cutting her off both from being able to communicate uh, with her support network and also because he wanted you know to have control over that that particular thing um and and so Stephen A uh, has done a ton of damage on this and I think we all remember uh when he did ESPN kind of wrapped him lightly on the on, on the knuckles uh for some of the comments he made about Ray Rice uh that led Michelle Beadle to speak out um and then obviously you know you can see what long-term effect that's had on him it was nothing at all um but uh you know he's a he's a he's a he's a very serious um defender of floyd mayweathers and other and other men who have been accused of doing these things and um you know that speaks to a a large audience unfortunately who want to believe that their heroes are innocent
2: well and i also i mean I also want to get at, I mean, you touched on it in your in your article, is the system that's in place that could directly hold Mayweather accountable, it is fascinating their, the scales by which they are judging the conduct of, of the participants in boxing, whereby you single out uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. and Yoel Casamayor are both out for, they, they lose their license for a number of months. For, possess- for testing positive for marijuana. Right. But Floyd has never been suspended, even though he's been arrested and charged with battery theft obstructing convicted. police. Convicted,
0: not just and, charged, convicted yeah. on multiple yeah. occasions. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, and um, a week after our article ran, uh, Mayweather was going through the licensing process in front of the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission For Mayweather promotions to get his promotions company off the ground, and Skip Avicino, who was one of the uh, commissioners and may still be, I remember he called Floyd a good vicar for the sport. I say granted him that, and I was just thinking, you know, you're, you know, I I have never called for Floyd Mayweather to be completely blackballed from the sport. I would hope people would choose not to spend their money supporting him, but. I don't, you know, I don't, that's not my thing. And it doesn't bother me that they granted him a license for a promotions company, but for the state regulatory body that's designed, that's out there supposedly to protect the reputation of the sport and, 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 uh, you know, to to have one of their representatives called Floyd Mayweather of all people, a good vicar for the sport. Um, you know, a a guy who, um, not only take away all the, felony charges and, and, and the convictions on multiple occasions take away uh, the fact that, you know, uh, he has said incredibly offensive things on, on social media. But I mean, I, I think also a guy who, who's really um, just generally been very standoffish with the media. I mean, he's done, he's done very little in my view. I mean, he's been a tremendously successful fighter. So don't, don't get me wrong there. But, you know, I I don't see what he's done to make himself a good vicar for the sport. And, you know, I think obviously the the weight of it is on the other side. But, you know, they you know, there was that. um, That coziness there and uh, they delayed his prison sentence to allow him to fight the rematch with Maidana, if you remember. He was supposed to go to jail and they let him put it off so that he could fight on Cinco de Mayo because after Oscar retired, he was the one who kind of grabbed that Cinco de Mayo date.
2: Sure. Um, on, 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 sorry to interrupt, but on behalf of, of his economic value right. to, to the community of Las Vegas that was struggling, let's let's just suspend the judicial system to get right. behind this guy's economic positive impact on Las Vegas economy. Stunning.
0: It was. It was. I mean, I, I, I guess I would say stunning, except for the fact that, of course, that's what happens in box, right? Sure. Uh, that's exactly what people... And that's one one of the reasons why I think boxing has always had a credibility problem. Because of course, you know, uh, if you if you make money, all is forgiven. Um, and Floyd made a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. The, the You know. Uh, Yoel Mayor was at the end of his career and I think they permanently revoked his license for marijuana. Uh, Julio Cesar Chavez was no longer a, a huge box office draw and. They suspended him, but Floyd Mayweather was the biggest star in the sport, and they didn't dare uh, even investigate him for the uh, for the uh, you know his behavior. They didn't they didn't call him into a hearing and make him ask, answer questions about it. Uh, so, um, <laughs> sorry, I, you can my, my I've got my four year old yelling. Not a problem. Apologize. We're,
2: we are a kid friendly, cat friendly podcast. Wonderful. <laughs> Well, and, and I want to ask you also because Gervonta Davis seems like the most recent example of sure. something not not anywhere near to the degree. Du- well, maybe that's even.
0: That's well, I, think we don't, sure. I think we don't know, right? I mean, there's a lot we don't know about that. We, the, the, the portion that was caught on video, I right. guess we would say, was probably not as severe as some of the Mayweather uh, assaults, although it was pretty terrible. Absolutely. But But, but again, you know, I mean, I think. What wasn't captured on video and why do we need to see it on video? I mean, with Ray Rice, I don't know if you you know, I'm sure you're sure. Like before the video of him punching his wife was released, you know, the NFL suspended him for two games and ESPN went out there and kind of said, is your wife pulling for you tonight? And kind of, you know, did all this. Then the video came out and everyone, of course, was horrified. But the, the fact is, the video told us nothing we didn't already know. Right. We already knew he knocked his wife out in that elevator. There should have been... The video was graphic and awful, and I understand why it had a visceral effect on people, but it, it it shouldn't have changed... It shouldn't have changed a single thing about the way we felt about Ray Rice or his punishment. But everyone agreed once that video came out that he needed to be punished much more severely. And I think, you know, you're going to see the same thing with, uh, with Javante Davis, and I think, um, you know, Floyd Mayweather... Uh, was able to uh, you know, one, one of the things Josie Harris said was that Floyd punched her in the back of the head to avoid leaving a mark that could be seen. And at the time I thought when I was writing my article, I even kind of said, well, maybe, maybe that's it. Or maybe he just knows rabbit punches are, are really effective. Um, but then when you saw him come out and make that no pictures argument, you know, that's what it was. I think that lent a lot of weight to her explanation. Um, so people, the pictures make a big difference. And uh, and they shouldn't, but I think that's the, the reality we're in.
2: Yeah, I, I remember interviewing a few people uh, in the lead-up to the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, pe- people that had spent time with him for long profiles. And, and one of them, I won't name him, but had flown on his private plane and right. and spent a significant amount of time. The image that he offered... Was kind of along the same lines that you're talking about, about not just in anger attacking somebody, but, but attacking them with the added sadism of, I know how to get away with it, that I will never be accountable for. Like, it's just this added layer of maliciousness. And and the image was that he would, he has a, a, a coterie of women who are installed at his mansion, or, or mm-hmm. maybe maybe several of his mansions, but anyway, this was one of those mansions, and what he would do was grab them by the hair and pin them to the ground as with his other hand flap their non-disclosure agreement that they'd signed, and say there's nothing you can do, bitch. Like, I, I got you, because you, your signature is here.
0: Yep. Look, I, I had not heard that specific allegation before, but it's entirely consistent. Uh, you know, the the the, the you know, he thought he was above the law. You know, one of the amazing stories uh, is about, uh, I think it was Floyd, one of Floyd's second major uh, conviction uh, where he assaulted two women in a bar um, was that the women, the police basically told them, look, do you really want to file a complaint? Cause you'll pay for it in the streets. If you do
1: basically oh, like Jesus,
0: right. Um, that was uh, the kind of, you know, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, one of those, you know, you, you watch kind of the uh, you know, Narcos or El Chapo shows or something like that. And it's, that, it's that, almost that kind of lawlessness, you know, and, you know, kind of corruption that puts them above the law. But that is, uh, unfortunately, uh, what, what some of these athletes have been able to attain. Um, so I'm sorry, I think that, that was a bit of, I, I, I don't know if I went off
2: topic. No, right. no. No, and I I also think that one of the things that I think is really important with this issue, and maybe it's a little bit cherry picking the extreme possibility of where it can go, but I think it's worth discussing, is like OJ Made in America, I think, was an opportunity for a lot of people to see not just the extent to which OJ had been let off the hook Mm. by the police again and again and again. I mean, just... I don't remember exactly the number, but we're talking almost a dozen incidents right. of, of attacking women. How many? We, I think there are allegations he attacked his first wife as well, but clearly this was a really entrenched behavior mm-hmm. and, and, and pattern with women he was with. And yet, when a jury heard about these allegations and heard his dead wife uh, telling police. Right calling 911 he is going to kill me he is going to kill me right one of the things that i thought was so important about that film was allowing the jury to reflect back on why she came up with the verdict to to let oj off was to say i just don't see the connection between that kind of behavior and him killing somebody i understand they were trying to make it i don't see it how is that possible when you're hearing the woman where everything points to this, right. what this guy has done, and you still you, – you're not able in your mind to, to bridge something that seems so obvious? Like What is going on there with people?
0: You know, I think, uh, I think again, there's this, um, this dissonance where people treat spousal abuse as a normal thing that happens. Uh, and don't recognize that it builds towards something bigger quite often. And that, you know, almost any of these spousal murders you hear about were preceded by years of abuse. Um, and it's true that there's certainly a lot of abusers who never reach that point, thankfully. But, sure. uh, but it, it is obviously a huge indicator that that could happen. Um, I, I, you know, look, uh, OJs are really fascinating case for a lot of reasons and there's obviously so many layers of complexity into what went into that verdict uh, and and everything else but it's a great example certainly of the privilege of an athlete uh, or even a retired athlete and kind of beloved celebrity uh, and the the benefit of the doubt that everyone gave him. Everyone gave him that benefit of the doubt other than Nicole and her family right up till the point when uh, he killed her. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it is, uh, it's unfortunately, we could just go down the list of powerful men who have done, you know, very similar things and gotten away with it. It's, it's, it's very long. It's much longer than we know about, certainly, because most of them will never be publicly named. Um, but this is, uh, for whatever reason, this is something that our culture our society has not been willing to address this epidemic of violence against women. And, um, you know, it's, we need to, you know, uh, we don't have any excuse anymore. I mean, maybe you could say at some point, you know, the, the press didn't report on these things. Well, the stories are out there. The facts are out there. The videos are out there in some cases we can't, we need to stop, uh, downplaying these allegations, uh, giving people, you know, a thousand chances, uh, and uh, and reflexively believing what, what an athlete says, um, because again, you gotta, you know, depending on which estimate you like, somewhere between two and eight percent of uh, of rape claims, for example, are, are false allegations. Which means more than nine out of ten are true, but look at the number of athletes who have been accused, um, and I don't know of any athlete besides Mike Tyson, at least any top athlete, uh, who went to jail for a, you know sexual violence in the prime of their career. Some did after, certainly, but it just doesn't happen. And huh. you know, um, it's 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 clearly. We know there's disproportionate levels of sexual violence by athletes and other people in kind of hyper-testosterone-filled environments, and uh, and yet we, we, we see this impact where they are far less likely to be punished by it.
2: Well, and, and I, I know you got to jump off, but I mean, the last thing is, I remember hearing an interview with Pauli Molinaji, and I, I'm not trying to single out to to. To pick on him, I've never spoken out against him I, I like him as a commentator. I think I think he's a very competent commentator, but when he steps back to to offer his personal views on some subjects, including this one, I'm kind of shocked that there's there's not more circumspection about the impact of it and I recall maybe a year ago he spoke out to say that I miss a kind of old school way of dealing with a screaming match in the neighborhood mm. and your woman is screaming cuz you you know you both are everything's escalating she runs out into the streets and says call the cops um that really shouldn't be done you're not like a man to call the cops on a guy who's involved in that situation with the sure. woman who's screaming for help and I was just thinking what on earth would prompt you to come out with this without the most obvious reason being that you're getting into situations with women that is personally negatively impacting you and you have no interest in protecting the women in this. It's not about being fair or, you know, defending wrongfully accused men or anything, but I just thought, my God, to propagate this kind of situation when, we know how this escalates into worse and worse situations for the real victims of, yeah. of these dynamics. I just thought, God, like when you have a, a platform, what is inspiring somebody to go off in, into this area? Especially as just like now, you just can't get away with it. I mean, I understand in Trump world, you can in right. a lot of ways, but uh, it, thankfully, I think there's a lot more pushback about no, you just can't blindly throw this kind of thing out there as if it's a sensible reflection on, on the good old days in America when it's only really good if you're a white male where you get away right. with this kind of shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, look, you know, uh, there's if there, there, uh, uh, you ever read Hunter S. Thompson's Hells Angels book, uh, you know, it ends with um, him confronting a Hells Angel who's just smacked his girlfriend and getting beat up by all of them for doing it and you know then there was a subsequent interview on a on a talk show that you, know, you can see this on youtube or something where he, he goes on there and the and, and the and one of the hell's angels comes out and says basically something like you know like you know you've got to beat your woman from time to time i think like you know he made some joke about it and the audience laughed and cheered an audience of men and women and i mean now know that that's was 50 years ago now right but that sort of Idea that kind of, you know, um, that you know, occasionally smacking a woman around was not just normal but uh, even appropriate. Um, is, is something that that has lingered with us. I remember Chris Rock used to do a routine, and he he's he's matured a lot, but he used to do a routine about how I oh I'd never hit a woman, but I'd shake the shit out of her, um, and uh, yeah. you know again that was. Not that long ago, an audience full of men and women laughed hysterically at that. Uh, and, and so this this block we have on this as a society is 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 deeply embedded, and again when you when you throw that in with kind of all the emotions that sports generates, you know and all the kind of tribalism that comes with being a sports fan, of course, it's natural that they're going to fall in behind. Their guy. Um, And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we all, you know, I had a very, Mark McGuire was one of my heroes growing up. Evander Holyfield was one of my heroes. They've both been accused of performance enhancing drugs, I think fairly convincingly. And it took me a hell of a long time to accept that either of them had done it. Um, And uh, that's just that that kind of tribalism in sports. I, I didn't want to turn on my guys and accept that they'd done something bad. Uh, Or that they weren't, you know, that their their successes weren't entirely the product of their hard work. Um, And unfortunately, this is a place where there's a big blind spot in our society that persists. I hope it's getting better. I'm pessimistic, but I'm hoping it's getting better uh, because it needs to. We can't let this continue. And so we all need to, those of us who have a voice need to shout it from the rooftops when we have the opportunity. And so, you know, that was, that was something that I know you and I both have done. And so I think, uh, hopefully more will, we'll join in that.
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, just, just the last point, I mean, I was watching some of that Michael Jordan documentary that's getting a pile of play right now. And I thought it was so interesting. There's an incident where he gets into a, a fight with Steve Kerr and after, after the fight occurs, he punches Kerr in the face, um, reflects on it as he's driving home and says, like, what have I done? I've, I've punched out the smallest guy on my team. Like, whoa, what a big man I am. So I called him up and, and apologized. And we really came away respecting each other a lot more from the way he handled it, like standing up to me. And I was just like, okay, I, I understand that this is two men, two professional athletes, but the logic of what he's talking about, if you applied it in a lot of other situations is fucking terrifying.
0: It is, but at the same time I completely relate. Because I would get in the boxing ring with guys I hated, and after three minutes of sparring, you know, I'd give them a hug and it would feel like a, a really unconditional hug. I I'm not I'm not justifying it. It's it's not morally or logically uh correct, but there is something about being in a fight with someone that creates a measure of respect i i i don't know what that is it's, it's not like a part of my personality that i'm proud of but it it i've experienced that so many times in a boxing ring um that i know it's there and so i kind of get it and uh i kind of get that perspective but you're look it, it's it's a, it's something we should probably instead of kind of acknowledging it's there we should be working there's a lot of bad instincts that are are in us as uh, as people and we should probably instead of just recognizing that they're, they're there, we, you're right. We probably should think about uh, how we get rid of them. But I certainly, uh, I guess I I've not seen the documentary, uh, but uh, I, I think I saw Steve Kerr say in an interview that you know they became better friends after that, and I get it. I'm not justifying it, but I do get it.
2: No, no, no. I I I get. I'm not. I, you know, I get. We're covering a sport where two people by mutual election are in there. Right. I, I get that, and I'm just saying to pick on the smallest guy on your team and say, wow, he stood up to me, that earned my respect. Whereas everybody is saying this was an emotional terrorizer of the team. Mm -hmm. This was somebody who sought to dominate and humiliate everybody that he dealt with, that he needed to maintain dominance at all times. And when he talks about an exchange with the smallest guy where there was the slightest pushback, and Jordan's response was to punch him out, and it's like, yeah, now I really respect him. I was just like, like this is a a really awful person. This is not who you would want, uh, you know. Like in this one domain of being a basketball player, I get it, but where it's just fascinating to me how we venerate qualities that are totally antithetical to what we talk about as like a good person, a good, generously spirited, kind. Thoughtful, compassionate person. This is a monomaniacal sociopath. And right. Celebrate it and reward it everywhere. And if it was a different domain, you'd say, like, this is a complete monster. It just kind of fascinated me. I think I, in I, our
0: sports we tolerate that a lot more than maybe we would in uh, in other aspects of our life. Because we want to believe that sports figures are just kind of especially uh especially contact sports figures but i think all sports figures we want to believe they are kind of you know there are gladiators right that's basically what this descended from right um and and kind of all sports are kind of metaphors for combat in some way Mm -hmm. um and so i i think that's why that quality uh is appreciated by sports fans uh even if it's subconscious i think you know and i think when there's a bad guy, a quote-unquote bad guy in sports, there's often this big kind of, the media kind of turns on him briefly, and then, you know, by the time he's kind of served his punishment, he, say, he kind of comes back almost as a hero, you know, um, you know for kind of persisting through that. Um, and the irony in all this, and I actually have this in the original draft of the Mayweather article, and uh, I think it w- wisely was edited out because it might have distracted from it. The one guy I can think of who didn't get a pass for his past crimes was Michael Vick. And yet he carries that stigma with him to this day. He gets booed, all that stuff. And yet, you know, if you ask the Humane Society about him, they'll say Michael Vick's become a huge partner of ours. Um, But if if your victim is a human, and particularly a woman, they'll get over it, the the, the fans get over it really quick.
2: Uh, So true. Yeah. Well, no, and it reminds me, because you're making a great point, like, animal rights activists are so vociferously heard. It's mm-hmm. such an indefensible crime compared to how do attacking women gets such immense pushback. And, and you're reminding me of something my dad used to say when I was a kid about, about child protection law, which is we spend a lot more money on dog food than we do on protection of at-risk kids. Right. And it tells you a lot about our priorities of a society in terms of pet owners versus parents and i thought oh my god but but it's it's it does tell you something about where where we are i know you got to go i i held you for a little longer than i said i would so i apologize thank you so much great
0: i really appreciate it brian always great chatting with you and uh you know uh thanks for having me and let's do it again sometime
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tourist Information. The producers for this show are George Alarcón Suebi and myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler. Thanks for listening.